This evening, the passage that we're looking at is what I like to call a fist pump passage, all right? So I'm going to put it up on the screen, the very first part of verse 1, and I want you to say this out loud with me. For freedom, Christ set us free. Now, here's what, if you really set with this, here's what I believe happens internally inside of you. It activates your inner Tiger Woods, all right? So here's a picture of Tiger Woods. It's a classic shot, right? This is what it activates inside of you. It activates Tiger Woods in his prime on Sunday, ahead of the leaderboard, red shirt, black pants. He's hit the putt, is going towards the hole, and we know the classic fist pump that Tiger Woods gives. Here's why. We love freedom. We absolutely love freedom. We are the people of the land of freedom. We are the leaders of the free world. We love freedom. It gets our souls going, doesn't it? We love this thing. And, but here's what's really interesting. You can take the picture down now. Um, here's what's really interesting about freedom is that there's distinctions in freedom. There's aspects to our freedom. For instance, we use two terms or two phrases pretty regularly, or some of us do. I, I, I probably don't. You probably are a lot more smarter and use these than I do. But we have two ideas here, civil liberties and civil rights. Civil liberties and civil rights. Oftentimes, the way that it's used is that they're synonymous terms, but there's actually some distinction. So let me explain for a second. Civil liberties speak to what you're free from. You are free from certain things. So one of the favorites that we love to bring about is freedom of speech, right? What is freedom of speech? Freedom of speech is that you are free from government censorship in what you say. We are free from the government's oppression and tyranny in the words that you can say here in our government. This is freedom from the oppression of the government and your ability to express your opinions. So this speaks to a, a condition. Civil liberties speak to our condition as free people. You are free from oppression and tyranny. Civil rights speak to what you're free to do. Here's an example, the right to vote. You are free to vote without discrimination, or at least by the book of the law, all right? Our, our history hasn't always like, said that we do what we say, right? But by the law, this is supposed to be what is our reality. We're able to exercise our freedoms through certain practices without prejudice. Now look, this speaks to your freedom of activity, what you're free to do, all right? So thanks for coming to my free social science lesson. But as we look at our passage tonight, as we look at the fist pump passage, we find these same distinctions in our freedom that we have in Jesus. We see the condition of freedom that we have in Christ, but we also see the activity of our freedom in Christ. And so here's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at these aspects of the condition and activity of our freedom in Christ, the things that get us really riled up. And here's my prayer as we do, as we look at the condition and the activity of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that we gain appreciation for what Christ has accomplished for us. 
That as we look at the realities of what Jesus has done for us and the freedom that we have in him, that deep down in our souls, we will leave these doors with a greater appreciation for what Christ has done on our behalf. But then secondly, I also pray that we grow in exercising our freedom in Christ. As we think about all that Christ has done for us, the condition that we have in Jesus, but the freedoms that we have now to act and to do in light of what Jesus has done for us, my prayer is that in our day-to-day life that we see growth and trajectory and living out those gospel freedoms. That's my prayer. And as we do this, I believe that there's going to be a great joy. I believe there's going to be a great community of love that God creates in light of all this. So first, let's consider the condition of our freedom in Christ. We see this in verses 2 through 4. And here's what we're going to find. Okay, We are free from an obligation to the law. We're no longer bound to it. That's what we're going to see in verses 2 through 6. I'm going to start with verses 2 through 4 that what we see, we are free from obligation. So verse two says this, take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised, which gives us the squeamies, right? Like that just, oh, that sounds awful. That he is obligated to do the entire law. Verse four, you're trying to be justified by the law, are alienated from Christ, and you have fallen from grace. So we're in chapter 5. As we've talked about in previous weeks, let me catch you up for a little bit. The, the book of Galatians is written to a group of churches. Galatia is a region. It's not a city. And so this region of churches, they're at a crossroads. Paul has come, and he's preached the good news of Jesus, that faith in Christ alone is what brings you into the family of God. But there are false teachers, Jewish teachers, that have followed in Paul's footsteps into these churches, and they've come and they've preached that you must add on to the gospel. That it's not Jesus alone, but it's Jesus and becoming a customary Jew by undergoing circumcision, and then also becoming a practicing Jew by keeping the law of Moses. And so what Paul is doing, he's been arguing up to this point that it's just Jesus alone, and what he's giving us is his final argument in this whole entire letter of what he's been trying to lead to, of being faithful to the gospel. And so the final argument, we see this in verse 2, He says, if you choose circumcision, then Christ will not benefit you at all. Here's the reality about the truth of the gospel. When it comes to the work of Christ, if you add anything to the work of Christ, then you lose Christ completely. Anytime that you try to add on to the works, because here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not that Jesus came and he walked in obedience with God to get us up to the finish line of salvation And then he puts the burden on your shoulders to get over the line. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus has done the complete work on your behalf to bring salvation to your life. All he asks for is you to put your worst foot forward and trust in the complete finished work of Jesus. So Paul's saying if you add anything with what these false teachers are saying that you need to add to the truth of the gospel, then you lose Christ completely. The work that he's done on your behalf is no longer your benefit. There's no halvesies. (laughs) Verse three says, if you choose circumcision, 
then you are obligated to do the entire law. So here's what this means for us, all right? It means now that the burden is completely on your shoulders. You have to obey the entire law, and here's how that expresses itself. One, it has to be comprehensive, and then two, it has to be, con- it has to be constant. Comprehensive meaning it has to be exhaustive. You see the Old Testament law, over 600 rules and laws that are in the Old Testament law. You have to keep all of them. You can't just break it down and divide it into strengths and weaknesses, kind of like what we talked about last week with the pros and cons list. I'm good at these, and I'm, but I'm bad at those. And then you weigh out the balance and you just hope that the pros are better than the cons. That's not what happens. It's an exhaustive complete work. Paul says you have to keep the entire law, but it goes beyond that. It also has to be constant. So you can't just look at a period of your life and say, you know what? I ran really well for that 10 years. Now, here's the reality. Like you can't go a day keeping all 600 commands, let alone 10 years. I'm just speaking well on your behalf. All right. What Paul is saying is that for you, if you are adding to the truth of the gospel, then Jesus is no longer a benefit to you. The burden rests on your shoulders to walk in complete, comprehensive, constant obedience to the law. And that is the path that you're choosing in order to have a right standing with God. Here's what that's like. It's like living with a body cam on your body for 24-7. Asleep or awake, in private or in public, everything is captured in your life. As you're walking and you're living, you are capturing all the moments, every instant of your life, and everything that you're doing is going to be held you are going to be held in account for when you stand before the righteous and living God. And so whenever you stand before God after you've passed away from this life, that final judgment day when he comes back, that body cam, it posts the images, the video, the reel of your entire life up on the screen and you have to stand and give an account. And it has to be a complete, comprehensive, constant work. What Romans 3 says is this is impossible. No one is righteous. Not even one has been able to fulfill the law apart from Jesus Christ. And so what this means for your life is that you're bound to a debt that you could never pay. Whenever you choose to add anything to the gospel, you are now placing the burden on your shoulders. And this is why Paul says he's giving this argument I trust and believe that you're going to go back to the sufficient work of Jesus. Because as he's laying out this armament, he's like, how in the world could you choose any other option but Jesus alone? That's why Paul lands there. So look, we need to consider our condition in Christ because that sounds terrible. (laughs) But what we have in Jesus is beautiful because we are free from the obligation to the law. Listen to verse four. You are trying to be justified by the law 
who are alienated from Christ, you have fallen from grace. So Paul is writing negatively here, all right? He's speaking as if the Galatians would choose to follow a path other than Jesus alone, trusting completely in his life and work on your behalf. But for those that have trusted in faith in Christ, you can read this positively. So think about this in the positive sense instead of the negative sense. Instead of being alienated from Christ, we are united with Christ, God has given you the Holy Spirit. God himself has come and set up permanent residence in your life. You're not separated from Jesus. God has come and made his permanent home in your life by giving you the deposit of the Holy Spirit. You're not fallen from grace, but you live in grace. Grace is God's free gift to you. Here's what we think about grace. We think, often think about grace as God wiping our slate clean which is good, and it's true, but that's not the full reality. The full reality of grace is not only has Christ paid for the sins and the debt that you owe, but he's also given you all of the benefits that he earned in his life. It's beautiful. This is why we say that we are free from the obligation of the law. It's not because God looks at you and says, you are so awesome. You are so great. I love you. You're great. I'm gonna overlook all that you owed so that you can come be a part of my family. No, this is what the Bible says, that Jesus was born under the law, meaning that he lived fully and carried out all of the obligation of the law. And as he carried out all of that obligation of the law, when you trusted in Jesus, God benefited. He admitted, he put all of the benefits that Jesus had done and he accredited it to your account. So not only do you get the free slate, but you get all of Jesus' perfect obedience to the law. So look, it's been completed, which means that you no longer have to live a life in obligation of the law because Jesus has already done it all for you. That's the beauty of the truth of the gospel. All right, so there's a scene from the uh, NCIS. Anybody watch NCIS? So I haven't watched this episode. I actually am borrowing this from someone else, all right? So here's what he said. There's this uh, scene from NCIS. I think it's like the second season, all right? And so it's about this soldier that's standing trial for the crimes that he has committed after his life of service, all right? And so he's standing in the courtroom, and he's about to receive the verdict from the judge. And as he's about to receive the verdict, there's a witness that comes into the courtroom. He stops the, and interrupts everything that's going on in the courtroom. And he, this is a key witness. And this key witness comes and says that all the crime that this person has committed has been misreported. He's been misrepresented. And they remember, they come and bring evidence of the work that he had done while he was in service and he gained three purple hearts. He's wounded in battle. And what happens in this episode is rather than receiving a conviction but from the judge, this whole entire courtroom now turns into this, uh, this expression, this banquet of honor as this warrior receives the Congressional Medal of Honor. Here's what happens for you when you trust in Jesus. You get all of his status. You get all of his work. What, where this illustration like kind of falls through is this warrior 
was blessed because of the work that he did in the battlefield beforehand, what you get is all the work that Jesus has done. You get the Congressional Medal of Honor. You get to be the child of the living God. You get to be the co-heir of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has shared all of this with you, not because of what you've done in your past, but because of all that Jesus has done on your account. You get it. That's the blessing of the truth of the gospel. You are no longer obligated to the law because Jesus has done everything for you. Why would you choose anything else? Now, here's the beautiful thing about this. It gets even better. What's so amazing about our position in Christ is that it's certain and not uncertain. Imagine as you're walking and you're living with that camera on your body, you're always, if you choose to follow the path of the law, you're always wondering, is my obedience to the standard that it should be at? Am I meeting the expectations? Am I following through? You live with this inner anxiety. Am I doing enough? And so as you're working, and it's a never-ending work, and you're always left uncertain, the truth of the beauty of the gospel is that it is fixated. It's certain, and it's done on your behalf. We see this in verse 5. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Look, this is drastically different from verse 4. Verse 4 says, you who are trying to be justified by the law. You're working with all of your might to follow the, the commands of God that are in the Old Testament. But what we see in verse 5 is a lot different. Instead, we eagerly await. This is confident anticipation. You're not questioning. You're not wondering. You're not, did I do enough? No, there's eager anticipation. I know with certainty that this is my future because Jesus has fully paid everything that is needed for my account. But then look, it keeps going through the spirit by faith, the hope of righteousness. Did you know that hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking? It's not the, I hope that happens. I hope I get the promotion. I hope I find my life partner. I hope that, and you can fill in the blank, that's not hope in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is complete assurance. It's ironclad. I know exactly what lays ahead of me. But look, here's, here's why. Because it all rests on God's character. It doesn't rest on you. It rests on who God is. God is faithful. You never have to question if his promises are going to come true. He's always faithful. He's never lied. You can always trust his word. He's always, he's always followed through. He's always working on your back. Like you can think about all of these things about who God is and you can trust that you have complete freedom in Jesus from the obligation of the law, not just for a short stint, but it's certain, it's ironclad because of who God is, not because of who you are. So look, Consider, as you wrestle with this, here's where it left me. I just had this deep appreciation for what Jesus has done for me. Here's what I believe 
wrestling with our condition of freedom in Christ Jesus brings joy. Joy. Look, whenever you have a debt that you could never pay, a life sentence demands your life and you know that you can never fulfill it and you find that someone did it completely and fully, they stood in your place, look, the only thing that you could have is a deep appreciation and joy because all of the burden and the weight that was put on your shoulders has been removed. And as it's been removed, you get to live an intimate, perfect relationship with God, not just in the future. It's the opportunity and the relationship that's been given to you now through Jesus Christ. Deep joy. Here, look. When the disappointments of this earthly life hit you, here's what they can look like. Just a loose garment. They may brush parts of your body, but it's only lightly. It's not like a freight train that hits your body, right? They're just light and momentary afflictions because in the vast expanse of what Christ has done for you, you're free. This is the condition that we have in Christ Jesus. You are free from the obligation of the law because Christ has completed it for you. But we also see freedoms that we get to act upon, the freedoms too, and we see this starting in verse 13. So here's what verse 13 says. Paul's reminding us of what he's already stated. For you were called to be free brothers and sisters. This is freedom to language, to be free. And Paul gives us three qualities of Christian freedom. If there's a defining quality, we've said this before, if there's a defining quality of the Christian life is that you are free. And Paul gets into the the mud here. He gets into the dirt with us and he shares what the practicalities of this look like. So the first one is this, that you are free to serve others and not yourself. You see this in verse 13. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Our human propensity is to think that for us to find happiness and joy in this life, that we use our freedoms for self-gratification rather than laying our life down for other people. Um, I was a big Friends, like TV show Friends, big Friends fan growing up. It happened while I was in high school. We would have watch parties, did the whole thing. As uh, I woke up, was it, maybe it was last night. I don't remember. Cheers to someone. It, last night. Um, uh, Chandler Bing from the show has passed away. Just broke my heart, all right? Um, last year, he came out with a memoir about his life. And it's fascinating. Um, there's a lot of things that you can dig out from there, but he kind of opens up about his desire for this pursuit of self-gratification. Here's what he says in his memoir. The first prayer that he prayed was, God, can you, do, you can do whatever you want with me. Just please make me famous. And as he looks back upon his life and he wrestles with it, his life with addiction and pursuing just self-gratification, 
in the memoir, he notes that this just left this unhealed hole inside of him. As he looks back at some of those episodes that he played Chandler being, he can look at the man that he was, and here's what he says, I feel sorry for that guy because that guy is out of control. Essentially what Matthew Perry says and what he's like owning up to and admitting, he says, I'm sharing this because I don't want other people to go down the road that I went, was that everything that my life was built around was pursuing and using everything in my life for my own personal pleasure and it led to a bankrupt life. But look, here's what we find in the Bible is that Jesus is the most free and full person who's ever lived this life. He lived freely as no one could ever condemn him. You had the religious leaders that were constantly setting up traps for Jesus, and we see Jesus' wisdom, yes, in these things, but we also see Jesus' free and clear conscience because he was sinless in this life. The Pharisees tried to trap him. They could never do it because Jesus was spotless and clean. But yet at the same time, Jesus lived a full life, and here's, here's the evidence for it. Children flocked to him, all right? I have four kids we know one of the things that I recognize about my kids, they never gravitate to a dull and lifeless person. Not once. My kids always are gravitating to where the fun is. Look, Jesus had kids flocking to him. Jesus lived fully free, but a full life at the same time. You wanted to find the joy, find where Jesus was. And here's what we know about Jesus' life. Jesus did not live for himself, but he lived for others. Mark 10, 45 says this very point, plain and clear. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So look, here's the thing that we need to see here. Paul is saying, you are freed to live a life of sacrificial service. It's what brings a sense of joy and freedom and fullness to your life. Acts 20, 35 says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what you have in Christ Jesus is that you are freed from trying to live for yourself and now you can lay your life down for others and the result of it is a full and free life. So as we're looking at child dedication this evening, our joy, the commitment that we made as a church is that we get to sacrifice, look, we get to sacrificially lay down our interests to partner with other parents to take the good news of these children that were committed tonight. That is our gift. That is our joy. That is what we get to do. You have been freed to lay down your life to serve other people. And what greater joy than to lay down our rights on Sunday nights, when we come and we gather here, that we lay down a Sunday, that we get to go up to the kids' classroom, and we get to, through the week, practice learning what it looks like to bring the good news of Jesus in very clear and simple terms to these little precious children, for them to hear the good news that God has so deeply loved him, that heaven has turned the pockets of heaven inside out by giving us Jesus. There's no other gift that heaven can now give, as we just sang, because Jesus has come in human flesh to live perfectly on their behalf, die completely in their place 
place, be raised victoriously from the grave so that they can experience eternal life with God. That is our privilege as a church. It's our privilege to take that anywhere, but especially with our little kiddos that are here. It should, here's what I would love to see. I would love to see that we have to fight to keep people in this room rather than serving in our storytellers' classrooms. I would love to see that there is an arm wrestle to get into those classrooms, to spend time with kids, to play with our children, to share the good news of Jesus with them because we are freed to serve. That's a church I want to be a part of. Secondly, we are freed to obey God, not disregard him. We see this in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the beauty of the truth of gospel. Yes, you are freed from the obligation of law because Jesus has done everything on your behalf. But now you are freed to obey the law. Not out of obligation, but out of love. Remember what Paul says in verse 6. Verse 6 says, what matters is faith working through love. So look, we have been freed by being given the spirit to actually walk in obedience to what God has commanded of us. And we do that out of a response of love. I love my kids. Love, love my kids. There's one, if I could say one thing about me as a parent, um, and I'm not trying to be boastful, it's just like my joy in life. What Jesus says that if an earthly parent loves to give their kids good gifts, like I love to do that. I love to, I'm no, I'm not close to their heavenly parent, but I, I, I am that earthly, I love to give my kids good gifts. It's part of my joy and my delight of giving them gifts. You know the way that I experience love from my kids is when I see them lovingly obey. We have placed commands, rules in our home, and the reason the, our explanation to our kids of why we do this is because we have four kids that are 10 and under. They love to climb things. They love to jump off things. They love to put themselves at risk at any point in time, all day, every day. We've placed rules and guidelines in our house because we want them to thrive and we want them to flourish. We tell our kids the best way to have fun in our home is to obey mom and dad. We don't place these rules because we are killjoys. We place these, joy, these guidelines in our home because we want to see them flourish and we want them to experience the greatest joy that they can have in this life, not a life that is in a cast or in a tomb. That's what we want. Here's the reality about God's commands for your life. They are intended for your best joy and satisfaction in this life. The God who spoke this world into existence has given us commands, not because he's a killjoy in life, but because he wants you to experience the fullness of this life that he's given to you. So this means that we are now freed to obey not to disregard his commands. We do it because there is an overflow of love and affection for who God is and what he's done for us in this life through Jesus Christ. 
So it's not, hey, I'm just going to brush the commands off because I have grace and I get to go do whatever the heck I want. Out of loving obedience, it's our delight, it's our joy to listen and obey God's commands because we know that his commands are for our good and when we follow his commands, we'll get the fullness of life. And then lastly, we are free to pursue reconciliation and not dissension. We see this in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. In our Christian fellowship, for those that have placed faith in Christ and we have a church that forms in light of that, our expectation, because we know the wrestle with sin that we have in our own life, is not that we have expectations that no one is going to fail us or let us down in this life. Our expectation in Christian fellowship is that when we've let each other down or we fell one another, that we confess and repent. Here's the practice of this world. The practice of this world is that it hides and it deflects in order to save face. There's not a practice of humility owning up to personal wrong because you have to live with the facade that you have your life together. That means that you cannot let people see the cracks in your life. The beauty of the Christian life is that you no longer have to hide. That body camera, God knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've ever thought. He knows everything that you've ever done. He knows all of your motivations. He knows every aspect of your life. Yet, Christ died for you. Christ loved you. Christ laid his life down for you. Christ has given you his life in return for your life of indebtedness, paid in full. Which means that we don't have a community where we hide and we save face, but the practice of Christian fellowship is that when we do wrong one another, when we do fail one another, that we humble ourselves, we confess our sins to one another, we repent, and we pursue reconciliation. That's the beauty of Christian fellowship. There's a really old, old Christian, Tertullian, that he says, here's the mark of the Christian community. Um, He says, look, and he's speaking about the Roman Empire. They say how they, Christians, love one another, for they themselves hate one another, and how, and another thing that they say of Christians, and how they are ready to die for each other, for they themselves are readier to kill each other, speaking of the Roman Empire. They look around at what life within the Roman Empire looks like compared to the Christian community and say, what in the world is happening there? They don't function like us. If there is a word that depicts the kind of love that they have or the type of community that they have for one another, it is love. They love one another. Here's what is so compelling about the church to me, and it should be to you too, that the, the church is a place that we don't gather in order to be served, but to serve one another. That the church is a place that we gather to walk in faithful obedience, locking arms with one another, not disregarding God, but coming and sitting under his authority because it's our good delight to walk with God 
arm in arm with other people that look to Jesus and say, my only hope is in him. It is a community that pursues reconciliation instead of devouring one another and pursuing dissension and living with pride and not laying down our life. We are a people that confess and we repent when we have wronged one another and extending forgiveness to one another because we know the forgiveness that's been extended to us. I love this quote from Johnny Cash. He says, when God forgave me, I figured I'd better do it too. That's what we do. So let's begin where we started, verse one. For freedom, Christ set us free. And here's the only command that you get in all of this passage that we've looked at tonight. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This command, stand firm, is a military term. What Paul is calling the Galatians to is that they are to be they are to keep alert. They're to be strong. They're to resist attack. They are to stick together because look, our propensity in our human flesh is for us to always drift and add to the gospel and lean on our own performance to try to earn our way to God. Instead, the practice of the Christian community is that we stand firm in the truth of the gospel that is only through faith in Christ that we are truly set free. So church, stand firm. Lock arms. Fight together. When you gather in discipleship groups, you are fighting the good fight as you open up the scriptures and you talk about the good news of the gospel. You're laying your life bare before others that you may be prayed for. You're wrestling with the truths of the gospel. You're bringing your questions. You are standing Firm. When we gather together here on Sundays and we sing the hope of the truth of the gospel on the screen, the music, the lyrics that are put on your tongues, when we recite the prayers together, when we practice taking communion together, when we watch what God has done by resurrecting other dead souls through the practice of baptism, we come and we are standing firm, reminding one another that it is only in Christ that we are truly set free. That's your hope. That's my hope. And on a child dedication Sunday, like tonight, that's the hope that we bring to our kids. Let's pray.